Today, how important it is to educate yourself and your kids about finances because the system tends to be set up to encourage you to fail. This is the Seven Figures Podcast, smart money strategies for women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Family First Credit Union. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand. And Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. Okay, we made it to Friday. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here with us, joining our community. Financial confidence, that's what we're striving for, just to have a good understanding of what's going on with our money and to be good, positive financial role models for our kids, right? Always looking for opportunities to teach them a valuable money lesson. And I think this is actually one of those opportunities to sit down with your kids and listen to this podcast. Today, we have retired bankruptcy court judge John Nympho, who is also the founder of Credit Abuse Resistance Education Care. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. You always say it's your financial IQ that's so important, right? Right. It's a matter of life or debt. Oh, I get it. I get it. Okay, so now I'm going to warn everybody. There's going to be a lot of jokes. <laughs> well, I actually like going into the colleges better than the high schools and the middle schools because my experience is that the college kids actually get the jokes. The middle school and high school students aren't sure. They get them, but they're not sure whether it's polite <laughs> to lay off. So they don't know if they're allowed to lay off. <laughs> but you're delivering. The college kids don't care. <laughs> But at least you know they're listening. Right. Your delivery, though, it almost takes a second to pick up on the joke. <laughs> it's like you're stunned for a second. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, that was a funny right there. Okay, you have so much wisdom, it's almost going to be hard to narrow it down to one conversation. First, your career history. How many years did you sit on the bench of the bankruptcy court? I sat on the bench for 20 years. Wow. And before that, I was mostly a commercial Chapter 11 kind of a bank workout lawyer doing reorganizations and things like that, represented 11 different banks. So when I went on the bench to try to make a difference, I found myself every day dealing with consumers. And it was a whole different world because I was watching them make mistakes day after day after day that I couldn't believe that people were making. And when I say people, I am talking about people from every demographic, every age group, every income level, every educational level every geographical area, and it was incredible. And so uh, let me give you an example. Okay. I had some East High School students in my court one day about 15 years ago. And that day they got to see two engineers and a pharmacist making well over $150,000, which 15 years ago was a lot of money. I'm kidding. It's a lot of money now. <laughs> see, it's one of those. You're stunned for a second. <laughs> hey. Half a dozen teachers, <laughs> half a dozen nurses, and the comptroller of one of our major universities here in Rochester. Was in your courtroom? Yes. Filing for bankruptcy. In Chapter <gasps> 13, okay? Hopelessly buried in credit card debt, now and forever in too deep. And these kids were stunned. Oh, sure. Okay? And they went out of there just shaking their heads because they couldn't believe two things. And this is two of the things that I say all the time. One, it is not about your academic IQ. It is about your financial IQ, and the two are not the same. Mm -hmm. And second, it is not about how much money you have in life. 
It is about how you manage your money because every one of these people had plenty of money. And now they've ruined a good part of their life and their families' lives because they did not manage their money. And so those two things I tell kids, students, are very important for you to remember. Yeah. Was it mostly the credit card that got them? Yes, it's credit card debt primarily. And I had a conversation with a young man in his 30s who used to play lacrosse with my uh, nephew in high school over the break, over the holidays. And he said, by the way, the best thing he ever did in college was to take a personal finance class. Mm. And it's never let him down. But he said, Judge, how do these middle-class families get into so much debt problem? Yeah. And I said, well, let me try this out on you. 80%, nearly 80%, 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, including 10% of Americans who make $100,000 or more live paycheck to paycheck. And I say they live paycheck to paycheck. They probably have some credit card debt. And then these are the kinds of things that happen to them. All of a sudden, you have a son or daughter who's an outstanding lacrosse player. And you say, we need to put them in one of these travel programs Mm. that can cost thousands of dollars a year. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Now, do they sit down and go through their budget and say, well, if we're going to put little Jane in this travel program, we're going to have to cut back on all this other stuff so we can afford it. No. Just becomes incremental. And then spring break comes. And all the families that are on your kid's team or they're in your group or whatever, they're going to go on this fancy experience vacation. Mm -hmm. And you want to go too. So do you sit down and you go like, oh, guess we're going to have to take Jane out of the travel program or I guess we're going to have to cut back on this and never go out to eat again or whatever. No, you just go and put it on. And it builds and builds because in today's, you know, like hyper consumer, keep up with everybody world that we live in, everything becomes incremental. It isn't like anybody stops. And the other thing that I say all the time to people is, for example, I grew up in a world in the 50s and 60s where the only money people had was money they earned and money they saved because there were no credit cards. There were no seven-year car loans. There were no home equity loans. You had what you earned and what you saved. And in those days, if you wanted to advance your family, you got a second job or a better job or you worked more hours. About roughly 60% of Americans have a second job. Their credit card. Oh, their credit card is their second They don't even have to show up. But it's so much easier today to find a second job, quote unquote, a side hustle. I mean, it's so easy to find other avenues to make money. That's not our mentality. We would prefer to go into debt because debt is so easy to go into. But here's here's something that I think your listeners would be interested Mm in. And this has been the transformation of the financial industry debt and credit. In my day, I like to refer the way we looked at affordability was on a balance sheet basis. If you had all of your financial needs being met, Mm -hmm. let's say your plan is I need to save some money for retirement. I need to save some money for my children's education. I have to have money for emergencies because bad things happen to good people. I have to have some money for anticipated expenses because I know that furnace isn't going to last very much longer. And 
you didn't have any debt, obviously, and then you had extra hard-earned money, then you could afford to go on a vacation or go out to eat or whatever. Today, the credit industry has transformed our thinking so that we operate now not on a balance sheet test of affordability, but on a cash flow test of affordability. So if I can make that minimum payment on my credit cards, I can make the payment on that seven-year car loan where I'm upside down after three and a half or four years, which makes no financial sense, or those crazy leases. If I can make the monthly payment on my home equity loan, if I can make all those monthly payments, even if I am in debt, or even if I have to go in more debt in order to make those monthly payments, then I can afford that thing. And that's crazy, but that is the mentality shift that the financial industry, the marketing to do that is incredible. When you think of it, it may have been the best marketing job in the history of the world. It is pretty remarkable. But you made a, a point going back a little bit. Without a doubt, it costs more money. It's more expensive to raise kids nowadays. And you're right. A lot of it is the pressure if they're not. I mean, there is no, hey, there's soccer season. Oh, no, everything's year round. You're playing hockey in the summer. Right. I mean, everything is year round. You can do that, participate in all that, but you made a good point. If you are going to spend the money there, you have to give up something else. That's just me. That's what I believe because I think you need to avoid debt as much as possible. And if you're going to enter into debt, you need to minimize it as much as possible. And this is what I tell the students when I'm out talking to them about avoiding debt. So, one of the things I tell them all the time is that money is about hard work. It doesn't grow on trees, doesn't come from ATM machines, it comes from hard work. And the more you focus in your life and in your mentality that money is about hard work, you will never spend your money foolishly. You will always get the best value for it because you will translate it into your hard work. And so I tell them, for example, high school kids, I say, if you want to buy something someday, stop. For a minute. You're a high school kid. You have plenty of minutes. You can stop. And <laughs> ask yourself how many hours you had to work at that minimum wage after school or summer job at Abbott's or McDonald's or whatever to earn the money to buy that thing. And if you buy it, I tell them, I guarantee you, you will value it more because you will have translated it into your hard work. And you yeah. will make sure you get failure. I, I tell the middle school kids, I make them laugh. I say like, okay, have any of you ever gone to the store and told your parents, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. And your parents say, fine, you can get it. You just have to use your money. Oh, I don't want it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> absolutely. And every one of them goes. Yep, yep. <laughs> and it, this is now a big passion of yours, right? Getting into the schools and yeah. educating the kids. When you go into these schools, can you give us the overview of what you tell these kids so you can help us, you know, educate our own kids? Maybe we can pick up on some of these things that you tell the students and then we could we can convey that to our own kids. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I have a different overview when I go into the middle school. It's more about money. It's about hard work, wants, wishes, luxuries, uh, unit prices. They don't even know about unit prices. Um, so I mean, just do that little thing. So. Um, I tell young families, for example, to teach your children about unit prices and then send them out to find the best value on Tide laundry detergent. Because mm -hmm. if you go to six different stores 
Wegmans, BJ's, Tops, Aldi, whatever, you'll find 15 different sizes of Tide laundry detergent and 15 different prices. How are you going to know what the best deal is unless you translate it to how much you're paying per ounce? That's yep. unit prices. Just like we all know how much a gallon of gas is. I'd, would you rather pay two thirteen or two thirty nine? But unit prices work for pounds, ounces, gallons, everything. So that's kind of more of the stuff I do in the middle school, just to sensitize them. Cash is king. We talk about you know uh, we do talk about saving. And if I can just say this, I am shocked at how many kids today do not have savings accounts. I just don't understand it because in the world that they're going to live in, save, being a lifelong saver is more important than it was even in my day with the world ahead of them. This is when I tell them about father and grandfather. If you don't start saving now, you're going to pay more for your retirement because Social Security won't be as mm-hmm. generous. So you got to save more for your retirement and pay more taxes. That's the only way we save Social Security. Health care. Tell them health care is wonderful until you're the one who actually has to pay for it. Then you'll see increasing premiums, increasing deductibles. I tell them my wife's a retired high school teacher. Her health care has gone up $100 a month in the last three years for the same exact coverage. She's paying $1,200 out of pocket more. I tell them that's your future. And even though you're young, if you're going to wait for Medicare for All or universal health care, please don't hold your breath. And how about the national debt? $22 plus trillion dollars. Your generation is going to have to deal with it, not pay it off, but get it under control. You didn't cause it. Not your fault. But everybody's kicked that can down so far that they can't. There's no more road to kick it down. But your generation's the end of the road. And so I say, like, you've got to learn to start saving now to be a lifelong saver or you're going to be on the short end of a whole lot of sticks in your life. And that's the father and grandfather of me talking. Do you think that it's resonating with the kids? Do you think they're understanding what you're saying? I think they're understanding for two reasons. One, I'm a messenger. Yeah, you're not the parent. Because when I say those things, my kids roll their eyes and they're like, you're talking about money again. But So when I talk, when I do the introduction, I talk about how it's 20 years on the bench mm-hmm. and that we are not talk speakers, those of us in the bankruptcy court, because we've cleaned up everybody's mess. We are the boots on the ground people. We've seen the suffering at every level. And so they know that. They get that I'm there trying to help them. That's why we called it CARE, the program. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and yes, they'll listen to me when they won't listen to you or they won't necessarily listen to the teacher. At the end of every presentation, I ask the kids, did anybody learn anything today? And they all raise their hand. I ask them if they think other kids should hear this. And they all say yes. And I ask them, do you think you have a lot to think about? And they say yes. And Sandy, I've been in the schools for 21 years, and I can tell when kids are blowing me off or when they're really serious. And I applaud the schools for inviting you in. Yeah. Um, what is the one lesson that you think that we really need to hit home with our kids? Because you have cited statistics about when kids, you know, college kids don't feel like they have their bearings straight when it comes to finances, and they don't even know, you know, they're kind of insecure about their financial future. I... Well, let me put it to you this way. I interview people all the time, or I talk to people. I guess I don't interview them, you know. I was on vacation in Mexico over the break. And, of course, my wife and I would not go on vacation 
without having the money saved to go. Uh-huh. Okay. Which is very important <laughs> lesson. So that we may put it on a credit card when we're there, but we pay it off that month. Because we would never go on vacation if we couldn't afford to pay for it and didn't already have the money saved. So that being said, I talk to people from all over the United States and Canada, North Dakota, Illinois, New York, Connecticut, California, everything. Why don't we have mandatory personal finances in the high school? Every survey, every teacher, you know, they survey teachers, they survey adults, Mm -hmm. and they all say, yes, we should have it, but we don't. And I don't know. You know, here's another great thing that I found out, and I wrote it in my article. There was a bill, maybe it's still pending in Congress. When you talk about, you know, bipartisan support, this bill says to the effect that you cannot get a guaranteed federal student loan unless you've taken a personal finance class or can pass a personal finance test. Why would anybody object to that? Why don't we have that law? But I think every, you know, and I applaud the school districts in this area, for example, that do require Mm -hmm. uh, personal finances. Wheatland, Chilai, Spencerport, um, I know for sure now Webster. So local school districts can do it. And I applaud them for doing that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what's happening, Sandy, is more and more high schools are being pushed to have these, quote, college-ready classes. And yet nationwide, 33% of students don't go to college. What about them? Why shouldn't at least they be required to take a personal finance class? Because they're going to go out in the real world. And, yeah. and they're not armed with this kind of information. So I keep pushing this. Um, personal finances are important for you to learn because today, in our world, eight of the top 14 stressors in life are money-related. And so number one cause of divorce, number one reason why people don't perform as well at work or in school and often don't get a job, lose a promotion, sometimes get terminated, you know, I think I told you the story. We've all seen that commercial on television for the company that's going to help you with your credit card debt. And it starts off by saying, are you using sleep at night because of your credit card debt? Well, yes, of yes. course you are. You know, and that's what all the statistics show. So I tell them, if you want to be in control of your life, which is something I desperately wanted to do when I was in high school, I wanted to be in control of everything. And I think I've been pretty successful, except in two areas. Plumbing and electrical, which I cannot do at all <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but at if you want to be in control of your life, you've got to have three things going for you. Your health wellness, physical and mental, your spiritual wellness, whatever that means to you, and your financial wellness. If you don't have those three things going for you, you will be that stressed out person and you will you know, have all those problems. So learn about finances to use them for you instead of the credit industry so that you can relieve some of that stress and not be one of those people. And it really is an amazing feeling when you don't have to worry about if your furnace is going to fail you. All right, it's fine. This is important, Sandy. I tell parents when I get an opportunity to talk to them, this is something that you can tell your children, do as I say even if it's not do as I do it. It's mm. how important it is. I'm working on it, but you, I can't let you, you know, go down that rabbit hole of bad finances. So maybe my finances aren't perfect. I'm still working on it. I'm getting my act together, but you can't go down that rabbit hole. So do as I say, even if it isn't do as I've done. 
Do you think a lot of it is guilt? The, the parent guilt of we're working all the time. And then when your kid wants to go on that vacation, like their friends, or they want to participate in this thing or that thing, or they want to buy this thing, do you think it's almost that I can't say no to them again? Okay, I'm just going to give them what they want and make them happy. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I could be Sandy. I mean, this is if you want my personal stories, I don't know the answer to that. I know, for example, that when my kids were growing up in Pittsburgh, my son's friends were some of the wealthiest people in this community. And I actually sat him down one day and I said, I hope these people will always be your friends. But just know we are not going to try to keep up with them. We don't have a place on Canandaigua Lake. We don't have a huge boat. We don't have all of these things that they have. And we're not going to. And we're not going to go into debt to get them so that we can keep up. And he probably gave you some pushback. Nope. Oh, you've got such an angel of a kid. No, kid. he's not. It's just the, I'm not the I'm not the kind of person you push back. It allows. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> but Dad says go. I like that. Well, that's what we should all we should all take on that mindset. Well, just I'm no, not saying, I'm not going to do it. We all live different worlds and different yeah. lives and different pressures and different things. All I'm saying is that you know. So I tell him. You got to live that stress. Second thing I tell them, you'll be taken advantage of every single day by the credit industry. You know, when I was growing up, we had insurance, investment, mortgages, car loan, other products that you didn't have to be a CPA or a lawyer to understand. Mm. Now, that's not true. Everything is so complicated. And unless you are prepared to do the math yourself, understand, ask the right questions, be serious about finances not want to be taken advantage of, you will be taken advantage of. Everything is set up against you. And, you know, I, I have millions of examples of it. Yeah. As boring as finances can be uh, and confusing sometimes, you really do have to advocate for yourself. You just got to learn and get somewhat of an understanding of what's going on. So now let's end with a little vocabulary lesson because... For a lot of financially savvy people like yourself, this uh, tends to be a pet peeve when people confuse the words cheap and frugal. What's the difference between a person who is cheap and a person who is frugal? I think cheap people are obsessed with their money. They hoard it. They don't know how to spend it. Um, They don't spend it on, they're not generous. They don't spend it on others. If they spend it at all, they spend it on themselves. Frugal people are always looking for a good deal for the things that they're going to get for their hard-earned money that they work so Mm -hmm. hard for, okay? And so they're always looking for bargains, but their idea of looking for bargains is so that they'll have more money to spend on other things or to meet their financial goals in life earlier. And so that is what it's about. It's... and. You know, it's and after a while, it does become a little bit of a habit and it does become a little bit of a game, you know, yeah. uh, because you get to the point where you go like, well, why would I want to pay more for something when I don't have to? Right. When it's the exact same thing. But a lot of people confuse it. Right. A lot of people will confuse. I don't want to be cheap. Or, right. oh, Nobody wants so cheap. to be cheap. Right. A lot of the activities look the same. And that's why when I tell young families, when you want to explain and demonstrate to your children, Mm -hmm. the difference is that you show them that with the money you're saving over here, you're doing something over there. 
Yes. Okay. So now, because we saved money here, uh, we can go to an extra movie. Yeah. Okay. So you translate the savings into living life more fully, and then they don't think of you as cheap. Thank you so much for coming in. Retired bankruptcy court judge and founder of Credit Abuse Resistance Education Care, Judge John Nimfo. He is awesome. Okay, next week on the Seven Figures Podcast, Jean Chatsky will be here with us. She is from the Today Show. She has written so many books, but she has a new one coming out next week, actually Tuesday. It's called Women With Money. If you go to womenwithmoneybook.com, you can pre-order that and actually get some bonus items too. But Jean will be with us next week to talk about women with money. I wish you a fantastic weekend, and we raise our glass and proudly say cheers to being financially confident women. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the 7 Figures podcast. Smart money strategies for women.